Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 55. Brewers, big series win against a title-contending San Diego Padres team with a $4 billion salary. And we saw Wade Miley outduel duel Hugh Darvish. We saw Devin Williams get a strikeout with the bases loaded and a three-pitch count to end a pitcher's duel with a one nothing win on Sunday. The Brewers are in first place, and that's all that matters coming out of the sports weekend. Nothing bad happened. Oh, the Bucks! The game won Bucks. They got us again. Bucks Twitter predictably had it's a over. meltdown. We are screwed. We are not screwed. We are not. This has happened so many times in the Bud era. Game one, Bucks strike again. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. In time. Yes. The Brewers yes. win. Yes. Here comes Melvin to the 25 to the 20. Gordon 15. 10. And there is your Super Bowl dagger! Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in, knocked away and stolen by Holiday! Phoenix has to foul, on a tentacle ball, throws it down! Swinging, fly ball, in the right center, Braxton is there, and they're the champions! They have done it! It's been a 50-year journey, Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Uh, <laughs> that's my summation of game one, round one, Eastern Conference Finals. The one seed Bucks, the best record in the NBA, the overall number one seed. The Heat getting in off of a play-in win after losing the opening play-in game and then winning the second one. They ride some momentum into Milwaukee, and we just got what we almost always get with the Game 1 Bucks. We got an injury to a significant player, the most significant player, and we got lackluster defense, not a whole lot of hustle, not a whole lot of focus. The other team drilling a million threes. The Bucks unable to hit water from a boat, and they lose Game 1. And this, I think, is probably the best reaction I saw on Twitter this is the one of the best eight-second summaries of how Bucks fans are feeling on a Monday morning. I mean, this is a good look, man. I, did, ah, I am suffering. <laughs> it's hard to take. These game one Bucks. Let's start at the start. The number one thing coming out of yesterday, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to vent a little bit. We're going to talk about how bad the defense was and unable to hit any shots and Grayson Allen's defense and Jimmy Butler and the whole deal. We're going to go through all of it, okay? But all that matters, and I put this on my Facebook page yesterday, all that matters is the health of Giannis. That is all that matters right now. And he goes down in the first quarter. By the way, that was a lot of fun having the injury report clean for about six minutes. Wasn't that fun? Every Bucks beat reporter on Sunday, three or four hours before the game, Eric name all of them tweeting out, there is not a single name on the Bucks injury report for the first time all year. No one is on the Bucks injury report. No one. 
and everybody was excited. This is why we got the one seed, and this is why you get 10 days off, and everyone's healthy, and Middleton's a full go, and Giannis's wrist doesn't seem like it's an issue anymore, and everybody's ready, and that lasted literally five minutes and 10 seconds into game one. Giannis drives to the basket. Kevin Love slides right under him, and we can have a debate maybe at a later date. I saw a lot of this on NBA Twitter because John Morant went down in a similar fashion on a similar play. He hurt his wrist. Giannis hurt his back. But this has happened all year with that charge call. If a defensive player can anticipate an offensive player going full speed at the basket and they can just slide in before that player takes off, because that's the rule. If you slide under him and you're stationary, but the player has already taken off, then it is a block. But if you're able to slide in there and get yourself set before that player takes off, which Kevin Love's feet were probably set a fraction of a second before Giannis took off, if you're able to do that and be stationary and out of the restricted area, they call the charge. But it is such a dangerous play because you've got these guys going full speed, Giannis and John Miranda or anyone, LeBron, anyone, going 1,000 miles per hour. And if a weak side defender, which Kevin Love was on that play, notices what they're doing and can predict where they're going to be and they can just slide in there half a second early and that player isn't ready for that kind of contact and doesn't really have time to brace themselves for a fall like John Morant yesterday in the Grizzlies-Lakers game or like Giannis last night, it's a dangerous play. And more often than not, it's the elite athletes in the league that are making those attacks at the basket, and they end up being the ones taking hard falls. I don't know what you do to regulate that out of the game because if you say just play defense, if you regulate that out of the game, Giannis is going to score 50 a game. There are going to be players who attack the rim where that's the only way you can really stop them, and we've seen teams do that to Giannis night in, night out. And this fall was particularly bad. I don't know what they're going to do, but you saw a lot of NBA fans, not just Bucks fans, NBA fans, upset about seeing these star players go down because of that type of play. But five or six minutes into the game, bad collision. As soon as Giannis grabbed that is back the way he was and he didn't pop up right away the way he typically does, you got a bad feeling, <laughs> just an ominous feeling. But then he played. He played three or four minutes, and I kind of thought, okay, he's walking gingerly, but he's going to work through this. They call the timeout, and he sprints to the back. And Thanasis sprints after him. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is not good. And then you could just feel, not just as a viewer at home, you could feel the energy in the arena, which was not that great to begin with. I miss when we, I don't know how many people watch the Kings-Warriors game. The Kings are in the playoffs for the first time in 17 years or 18 years, since 2006. And they played the Warriors on Saturday night in primetime. And they had fans lining up two hours before the game to get in. The arena was packed before the national anthem. And I remember playoff games at the Bradley Center that were like that. And the energy that was brought in those games. I was a part of those crowds many, many times. This Pfizer Forum crowd, you knew it was going to change a little bit because tickets are more expensive. And with the new arena and all the stuff that goes into it, the rich fans that are there aren't quite as vocal as when we were at the Bradley Center paying $15 in the upper tank for playoff tickets. You don't get that type of fan to begin with. And when you've got a championship contending team, it's hard to bring that kind of energy in game one, round one, when you're expecting that team to win. It's not like the Kings where it's been 18 years or 19 years and you've had this long drought and at long last you're finally in the playoffs. So it's never going to match that level. But the energy at Pfizer Forum, even at the beginning when Giannis was playing, we got to find a way to get that going. You've got to find a way to inject some Bradley Center energy into that building. That was a problem 
even in the early part of the 2021 run, now I was there, my wife and I went, we went for the second round against the Nets. That was a pretty quiet arena that night until it got tight late. And then the Eastern Conference Finals Hawks game we went to, the one after Giannis got hurt, very loud then. The finals game was very Bradley Center-esque, but it took a while to ramp up. You wish you could see or hear more energy in that arena in the early rounds or in the regular season, but that's probably a different debate for a different day. But the second Giannis left the arena, you could feel the energy get sucked out of Pfizer form, whatever energy there was. And as a viewer, too, that's all you can think about. All I could think about during that run. I don't even remember any plays that happened. I know the Bucks were down, but it was the first quarter, and all you care about is, is Giannis going to come back? And then he does. He comes back. They go to timeout. He comes back. Okay, he's back in the game. He's attacking the basket. He made a few shots. Okay, we're going to be okay. Then they call timeout, and then he sprints right back to the back. Uh Uh-oh. This is really not good now. And then about 10 minutes later, the Shams tweet and the on the broadcast, too, they say he's out for the game with a lower back contusion. It just seemed like the team and the arena never recovered from that. And maybe they lose the game with Giannis out there. I don't think they do. I think Giannis probably finds a way to will them to win that game and gets things turned around. And the Bucks did make runs throughout the night. They got it down to two in the second quarter. They got it down to three several times late but couldn't come up with that big stop or big basket once they got it to that level. In those moments, if Giannis is there fully healthy playing 40 minutes a night, I believe he gets them over the top. But in many ways, it just didn't feel like they recovered from the Giannis injury and dealing with that and then how good the Heat were shooting and things weren't quite going the Bucks' way in terms of calls and the shots weren't going down. It's a confluence of a lot of things. But when Giannis exited the second time and didn't come back, there was just a noticeable drop-off in energy level and focus, not just for the fans, but for the team as well. And the news after the game was that the x-rays are clear, which means no breaks, which is a good thing, and it's probably going to be a pain management thing. We know that Giannis has those Reggie White healing powers. Remember that? Reggie White with a compound fracture in his leg would play five days later. He's got those kind of Reggie White healing powers. It's still astounding to think of the way and the angle that his knee was bent in Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals in 2021 in Atlanta and that he played in an NBA Finals game 35 minutes a week and a half later. He's got that type of bounce back to him. We don't know if he's going to be there on Wednesday. Now is when you really appreciate the rest. I know on the podcast on Friday we're talking about, God, they've got so many days off in between. Why do they have so many days off in between? Well, it's a good thing now. They don't play again until Wednesday, and if he can't play on Wednesday, they don't play again all the way until Saturday in Miami. My guess is he's going to be out there on Wednesday just because Giannis is Giannis, and if there's no fracture and it's just a pain management thing, he'll find a way to get through it or they'll shoot him up or whatever. He'll find his way to work through 30 or 35 minutes on Wednesday. We'll find out more, obviously, as we get closer, but that's paramount. His health situation is above and beyond anything that happened in the actual game itself yesterday. Again, it feels like he's going to be back at some point in this series, hopefully on Wednesday. I do believe the Bucs can beat this Heat team without Giannis. It may go six games. I guess it could go seven games. They have the depth on this team, and they've won games without Giannis this year. Giannis missed 19 games. They went 11-8 and eight in those games. And even though the Heat looked like the 2012 Heat or the 2013 Heat last night, we've got to keep in mind, there's a reason the Heat were in the play-in tournament. There's a reason they were just a little bit above 500 this year. I would guess there's some regression coming. I hope there's some shooting regression coming, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But this is a Bucks team, even without Giannis, that should be able to beat this Heat team. It may go a little longer, but they should be able to beat this Heat team if Giannis were to miss the series, which I don't think he's going to. But his health is 
the number one thing coming out of last night. If he's going to miss an extended period, which it doesn't look like he's going to, but if that were the case, then none of this matters. <laughs> you just you have to have him. You have to have him out there. If this were a situation where after the game there was a major problem and he's out for a month or two, then none of this matters. Maybe they get past the heat. They probably do, but after that, who knows? But that's the number one thing. As much of a bummer as it is to be down 0-1, and we hate that feeling even though we're used to it, as a big of a letdown as that was, the way the game went on the floor, the number one thing coming out of last night is the x-rays are clear, and it sounds like at some point with pain management we're going to get Giannis back on the floor, and we know he's always going to be full go if he's out there, which the Bucks will need. That's number one. Now, the game itself, it was just game one Bucks. They do this all the time, and that's why it's important to remember not to panic. As angry as I was watching that game last night, and I was angry scrolling Twitter all night, it was apparent with some of the different tweets out there that, yes, we've got to keep in mind this is what they do under Coach Bud in the Bud and second half of Giannis era. They just seem to not be there sometimes for game ones. You go back to... 2019. Remember the infamous Paul Pierce quote in 2019? They swept Detroit in the first round, then they got blown out in game one of the second round at home to Boston. They lost that game by 25 points or 30 points. Remember they went back to the ESPN studio and Paul Pierce infamously said, it's over. I think I've got the clip right here. I actually saved this clip. (laughs) This is the saved file. This is the actual name of the saved file that I probably played the next morning on the B93 morning show. I played Paul Pierce is a bleeping idiot and we played this clip. As a team, I don't, I don't, I don't know where Milwaukee goes from here. Because what are you? I, whoa, 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 whoa! No, so listen. is this over? No, listen, I think it's over. This series is over. The Bucks after that game blew the Celtics out of the next four games and won by five. You go to the bubble in 2020. They lost game one to the Orlando Magic. And I get the bubble had all sorts of other circumstances going on, but that was a horrible under 500 Magic team. They lost that game by 15 points. You go to 2021, they sweep the Heat in round one of that season, of that playoff run, but they should have lost. They had to get lucky late to get that to overtime. Middleton had to hit a game winner. And then the next three games, they won by an average of 22 points and swept the Heat. The next series, they lost game one to Brooklyn and game two, went on to win that series in seven. And then remember, everyone was so excited that they got the Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals because that meant they got home court instead of playing the Sixers. Well, they go out in game one and lose that game. Remember, Trey Young was doing the shimmy out there and the whole deal lost that one in the NBA Finals. They lost game one to the Suns and game two to the Suns in the finals that year. Last year... They win game one against the Bulls, barely, a game they probably should have lost. They only scored 92 points. Then they went out and lost game two and lost home court before going and blowing Chicago out in games three and four at the United Center. They do this. It's annoying. It's agitating. It makes your blood boil when you're watching it. But this happens a lot in the Mike Budenholzer era for the Bucks. They are 5-7 and seven in game ones under Bud, and they are 33-16 and 16 in all other games. I don't know what the solution is. I would love for them to just go out there, hyper-focused, in rhythm, playing to their capability and win these games by 15, 20 points, which you were hoping for before the game started with the health and all the things going into it. I don't know what they do, but Bud is not the best in-game coach where he can make adjustments on the fly. He is much better when he's given a few days of prep, and I expect the team will be much better on Wednesday with this few days of prep. But they just don't play that well in game ones. And it bore out again last night where the heat got up early and you kind of had that feeling of, oh, boy, let's not do this again in game one. And the longer it went on 
and the more the Heat were able to come up with answers to Bucks' runs. And, hey, you've got to give the Heat a little credit, too. Every time the Bucks made a run and they got within one or two points or three points and it felt like you were one more stop and one more basket away from getting in front, it felt like if the Bucks could have just gotten in front by a point, by two points, you get in front, you get a stop, you get another bucket, you're up three or four, it felt like that would have been enough. Even without Giannis, it felt like that would have been enough. But the Heat, to their credit, they made shots all night. Jimmy Butler, in particular, was unstoppable. I expect there will be defensive adjustments to that. There was a, just a lot of ISO game with Jimmy Butler where they would get him isolated on guys like Grace Allen, which you just can't have. I can't tell you how many times I screamed at the TV when they would switch Allen onto Butler with a screen, and then they clear out and go one-on-one. And I just said, you can't have this. You can't have Grace and Allen. You can't have him one-on-one with Jimmy Butler. What are we doing? And that was basically the entire Heat offense, and Butler was so relentless and so locked in. He scored 35 points on 15 of 27 shooting. He showed why he's second-team All-NBA and one of the top players in the league. He just took that game over, and the Bucks could not adjust on the fly. I think we will see those adjustments on Wednesday in Game 2, and they'll be able to limit him a bit more. One thing I also didn't understand defensively, when Butler would get the ball beyond the arc, he only attempted one three. He is not a good three-point shooter. He's been better this year, low 30s percentage-wise, but throughout his career, he has not been a good three-point shooter. I did not understand why all night when he would catch the ball beyond the arc, whatever Buck player was defending him was right up on him. Give him some space. See if he can make a three. He only attempted one. His whole game is driving and getting to the rim or pulling up from 15 or 16 feet. I did not understand why they were so intent on trying to get in his kitchen when he was beyond the arc when that is not a shot he likes to take. Let him hit a few. Let him hit a three or two before you guard him out there. But he took over the game. Bam had a good second half after they lost Tyler Hero. That's also a big part of last night. Hero was 5 of 9, 2 of 4 from beyond the arc. He was hitting threes. He broke his hand. He's out for the series. That's a big loss for Miami as well going forward. But defensively, the Bucs just weren't up to it for whatever reason. The Heat score 130 points. The Heat are not a good shooting team. They're not a good team. They're not a good shooting team. They have been a bad offensive team all year. And then they came out and shot 60% from the field and 60% from beyond the arc, 15 of 25 from beyond the arc. You've got guys like Gabe Vincent out there who's a 30% three-point shooter. He goes four or five. Kevin Love was out there playing like it was 2015, which I don't expect we're going to see for the remainder of the series. He looked like Al Horford out there hitting that three from the top of the key the way he always does when Boston and Milwaukee play. You had Duncan Robinson after the hero injury. You just knew he was going to hit a big three, and he did at the end of the third quarter when he finally got some minutes. He has not played much this year. Caleb Martin was two of three from beyond the arc. I guess my feeling is the Bucks are going to make the adjustments for game two, and there's going to be some regression to the mean. The Miami Heat have played 84 games coming into last night, 82 regular season games and two playing games, and throughout those games – The stats bear out they are a bad offensive team. Even a bad offensive team in the NBA is going to have a night or two where they are hot from the field the way the Heat were last night. But over the course of a seven-game series, I do not believe that's the way it's going to go for the next three or four games. We're going to find out. We will find out if this is a statistical outlier or if this really is the Bucs defense not having answers or a bad Bucs defense. But if you go over the course of the whole regular season, the Heat are a poor offensive team. And the Bucs are a top-five defensive team, even though that's not how things played out on Sunday in a one-game vacuum under a microscope. My feeling is that as this series wears on, 
the true nature of both teams will eventually even out and the Bucks defense will win out and the Bucks will start hitting shots. That was the other huge problem last night. We expected some rust with all of the time off, but man, they just couldn't hit a shot. 11 of 45 from beyond the arc. One other thing I didn't quite comprehend from last night. When Giannis went down, and maybe the game plan if Giannis is healthy the whole game is to pound the rock inside, but when Giannis goes down and you lose that part of your rhythm offensively, and the threes aren't going down the first half, and they're not going down the early part of the third quarter, why didn't they try to get it inside more? You know what I mean? If you look back to that game five in it against Atlanta at home after Giannis went down with the knee injury, and they had game five at home to try and get back in front of the series, which they did. My wife and I went to that game. You know what they did all game? They pounded the rock inside with Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis. Portis had a good game last night, but he could have had a bigger game. And Brooke Lopez, until maybe the last half of the fourth quarter, seemed non-existent on both ends. And he's coming off of one of his best years on both sides of the floor. The only size the Heat have is Bam Adebayo on the inside, and he is a good shot blocker, but he is not a physical defender where if you pound, pound, pound on the inside every time you get the ball, you're going to wear him down or he's going to get in foul trouble. That's what they did in that game five against Atlanta in 2021, and Brooke had 30 points and Bobby had 28 points, and they won by double figures. When the threes aren't going, why are we shooting 45 threes? The Heat shot 25 threes, made 15 of them. The Bucks shot 45 and made 11. They were just chucking for a lot of that game. And it just, why don't you just get the ball inside and exploit that advantage you have with size on the inside? Bobby Portis was scoring at will. He scored 21 points in 27 minutes, 9 of 15 shooting. Couldn't hit a three. He was 0 of 5. But whenever he got in that 5 to 8 foot range, they had no solution to Bobby Portis. There were a lot of things like that, game one bucks things that made you scratch your head. Hopefully we can throw these all in the trash. There was some silver lining. Chris Middleton looked as good as he has looked all year, and he played 33 minutes. The threes weren't going. Some of those threes, though, were at the end of the game, and they were just heaving them under two minutes left just to try to do something. But he had 33 points, nine rebounds, four assists on 12 of 20 shooting. He was one of only two players that was plus in the plus-minus category. Looked pretty healthy, as healthy as we've seen him look, and looked like playoff Chris. That's a silver lining from yesterday's game. I'm trying to find other silver linings. Bobby was a silver lining. Drew Holiday had 16 assists, but 16 points. Playoff Drew, he just doesn't make shots consistently. Hopefully this is going to change. He was such a good offensive player all year. Probably his best offensive season, but playoff Drew's shooting numbers have never been great. They were not good last night. Six of 18, two of nine from beyond the arc. He's got to be better. Grayson Allen gave you 12 points on five of seven shooting, two of four from beyond the arc. I guess that's fine. They have to find ways to hide him defensively. He just got caught in way too many one-on-one matchups against superior one-on-one players. Pat Connaughton didn't play a minute, and he has scuffled this year. The shot just hasn't been there. But you almost wonder... If he's he can at least play some defense, he at least has some lateral quickness. If Grayson isn't going to give you much on the offensive end, and my feeling is a lot of those shots he hit were late in the game when it didn't matter a whole lot on those five of seven shooting. But if Grayson's not going to give you a ton offensively, at least Pat would give you a little more defensive athleticism, a little more lateral quickness, maybe get him in the mix a bit more in the game too. We'll see if that's potentially an adjustment. But it's... It was an injury, and it was the game one Bucks. They played one of their worst games of the year on both ends of the floor, and they still only lost by 13, and they were right in it. I mean, you just felt like they were one big run away with all of this stuff going on, with no Giannis and the horrible shooting and the incredible shooting from Miami. They were still right there. 
they only lost this game by 13, and really they were under 10 for most of the game. The Heat really should have won this game by 20 or 25 points. They should have had this thing blowout city going away. This should have been like game two in Brooklyn in 2021 when they lost by 50. But they kept themselves in the game. They will win on Wednesday. We'll wait to see what happens with Giannis. That's obviously priority one, two, and three is finding out what his status is going to be for Wednesday. They are going to win this game on Wednesday, whether or not they have Giannis. They will make the defensive adjustments. Hopefully they have woken up now with the way they played in game one. The defense will be better. They'll be more focused. I can't tell you, too, how many times. Was it three or four times the Heat just beat the Bucks back? How many times did they get a rebound on a missed Bucks shot, lob it to the other end of the floor, and nobody was back? You can't have those kind of lapses in the playoffs. They'll get that tightened up. I expect the shooting percentages are going to regress to where they normally are. I mean, if the Heat, the Heat shot 60% from beyond the arc, if the Heat shoot 40% from beyond the arc, which is still an outstanding number, which is still a great shooting night, the Bucks probably win this game. From You could say, going into the game, if you would have said the Heat can shoot 40% from three and the Bucks will still win that game, you take that, obviously. I think that's probably the case. If the Bucks shoot 30% from beyond the arc and the Heat shoot 40, the Bucks win this game by eight or nine points. They will win on Wednesday. They will level the series. But the most important thing this week going forward is figuring out what the extent is of the Giannis injury and how long he may potentially be out. My feeling is he's going to be back on Wednesday. With that, let's play the Curtis Miller interview from 2021. This was the night of Giannis going down and the Bucks losing game four in Atlanta. And Curtis Miller had these words of encouragement for Giannis. What's going on with that knee? All I can say is, because I'll tell you, man, look, guess what? Walk it off. We got a playoff to win. You know you got our best player. You know you're our best player, Giannis. You know it. We got a playoffs to win. Get out there. One of my favorite interviews of all time from Curtis Miller after that catastrophic night for the Bucks, where they lost the game. The season series went even, and it looked like Giannis was not only going to be done for the playoffs, but done for maybe the upcoming season too. And then everything obviously turned around for the better. But one of my favorite interviews of all time, just walk it off. His knee was bent at a right angle the wrong way. Walk it off. Walk it off. Hopefully we'll see him back on the floor on Wednesday. They will get this turned around. I am not worried about the series. Even if Giannis doesn't play, I am not worried about the series. They will get it figured out. And there was a lot of that this weekend, too. You had the Clippers upsetting the Suns on the road. You had the Lakers upsetting the Grizzlies, even though you could argue the Lakers have a more talented, bigger, more physical team top to bottom. There was a lot of that happening this weekend where you had a lot of game ones where the underdog team not only covered – but got a win on the road. It's one game. It's a best of seven series. It's only one game. I think Bucks in five or six, they'll be fine. All right, let's talk about the Brewers real quick here before we get out. What a series. At San Diego, and I know the Padres don't have Fernando Tatis Jr., who is putting up absurd numbers at AAA during his suspension. If you look at his stat line at AAA, he's got something like 24 at-bats. He's hitting 568 with 11 home runs. Everything he hits is out of the park. They are waiting then for one of their best players, arguably one of the best players in baseball. But if you watched any of this series, the top of that Padre lineup is crazy. Xander Bogarts, who I forgot they got from Boston, one of the top players in the league, he leads off. Then you've got Manny Machado, one of the best third basemen, and you've got Juan Soto. That's one, two, three. And Jake Cronenworth, who had a huge game in the only Padres win on Saturday, He's a guy who's a middle-of-the-order guy in any of the lineup, and they're going to add Fernando Tatis to that, and they've got a stud pitching rotation. 
it is just uh, an embarrassment of riches for that team, literally and figuratively. That's one of the highest payrolls in baseball. So you go to that place and you take three out of four. How about Wade Miley on Sunday in a groove? Seven shutout with eight strikeouts. He was cooking out there. He's made three starts. He's two and one with an ERA sub one five. Offense didn't do much against you, Darvish, but you kind of expect that. You is one of the best in baseball. They did enough. They got a sack fly, and the pitching took it home. Peter Strzelecki in the eighth inning. I kind of like that over Matt Bush right now. And then Devin Williams gave you a ride. Devin Williams does have some K-Rod to him, doesn't he? K-Rod always, what do they call it, 20 minutes of terror. And Brewers fans know K-Rod well. He was a guy who almost never had a clean inning. He almost never went in and went one, two, three. He would always have a walk with two outs, and then he'd give up a bloop single, and then before you knew it, the bases were loaded, and you were in a full count, and he'd find his way out of it more often than not. Devin has a little bit of that to him, but he goes 3-1 and one on Trent Grisham with the bases loaded in a one-run game and comes back with two fastballs high in the zone, one swinging, one looking to get the victory and the series win. And the Brewers are now sitting at 11-5. and five. They got the win on Thursday. They got the blowout win Friday night. They got blown out on Saturday. We'll bounce back with that pitcher's dual win on Sunday. This has been quite a road trip. They are now sitting at 4-3 and three on the 10-game trip, and they have a chance. We talked about going 5-5. Five and five. Even if you lose this series in Seattle now, you are going to be 5-5 five and five unless you get swept. And there's a real chance with some of these pitching matchups, the Brewers could go 6-4 and four or something like that. Or maybe if you sweep it, 7-3. and three. This is a difficult road trip against talented teams with no days off, and they are playing really well. 4-3 and three right now on the 10-game trip. They will head to Seattle tonight. Are these all 8:40 first pitches? Let me get the schedule loaded up here. Brewers are 11-5. They're two games up on both the Cubs and Pirates. Four games up on the Cardinals. That's the one I'm really kind of watching. Not to discredit the Cubs. The Cubs, I think, are going to hang in there for a better part of the year. You expect at some point the Pirates are just going to disappear like a family member in a Marty McFly photo. You just They're going to fade away quickly. But four games up on the Cardinals. That's the one you're really watching this early in the year. Yeah, 8.40 tonight, 8.40 tomorrow. Corbin Burns on the hill tonight. And then Colin Ray is going to get another start on Tuesday. He was outstanding in his spot start last week in, was it in San Diego? Was that the extra innings win? Or was that the Arizona win? Maybe it was the Arizona win. No, it was San Diego. He'll get another start, and he's going to make a few more. The bad news over the weekend was the Woodruff injury. Remember, we talked on Friday's podcast that I said, "What did I say? I don't think they'd let Cor- I don't think they'd let Brandon Woodruff talk to the media the way they did if they thought this was serious." And he said it was just some shoulder soreness, some shoulder inflammation, and it happens to him a lot at the beginning part of the year. And he thought maybe miss a start or two, and he'll be on the shorter end of the IL stint. Well, I also said in that podcast, anytime I hear shoulder or elbow issues for a pitcher. It gives you a moment of pause. They went for an MRI, and it does turn out to be a bit more serious than what Woodruff or anybody thought it would be. It's a sub-scap strain, I think they're calling it. I asked my wife, Lindsay, who's a PT, about that. She said, oh, yeah, it's a big part of the throwing motion. All right, good. She felt like unofficial diagnosis. She felt like he would be out maybe a month-ish or maybe a bit more, but he's going to miss some time. He is going to miss some time, and we've talked already quite a bit about how this team needs to have starting pitching health the way they did two years ago when they won 95 or 96 games and then lost in the playoffs but had a really good regular season. They didn't have the pitching health last year, and that's a part of the reason they scuffled. You need that, so this is not a great start to lose a guy like Woodger for an extended period. Hopefully they're able to cover that with Colin Ray, or maybe at some point we do see Robert Gosser, the last piece that came back in the hater trade, who's been having a sensational year at AAA. Maybe at some point he comes up and makes a spot start. That would be so great if he would be a very good player. 
that would make me feel a lot better about the hater trade, which I still feel really down in the dumps about. If he ends up being a key rotation piece, then it makes it a bit more palatable. He is their top pitching prospect right now. But if Colin Ray, look, I'm not expecting him like his last start to go out there and give you six innings of one-run ball every time, but if he just keeps you in games and gives you quality starts and can bridge that gap for however long Woodruff is going to be out, we'll certainly take that. Uh, Burns on the hill tonight, Ray on the mound on Tuesday, and Eric Lauer, who had a really nice start in that blowout, went on Friday in San Diego. He'll wrap up the series on Wednesday afternoon. Then finally they get a day off, and the Red Sox hit AmFam Field this coming weekend. But the solid start continues, 11-5 and and in first place by a couple of games, and maybe more importantly, four games up on the Cardinals. No movement on the Aaron Rodgers story. We talked about that at the end of Friday's podcast. Didn't expect any news, didn't get any news. I don't expect any news this week. The draft is next week. If you're holding out hope they get this done before the draft, which I'm not sure I am, I would expect some kind of news or rumor to start spreading by Tuesday or Wednesday next week before round one. Maybe they're not going to get that 13th overall pick, but if that's what their desired pick is to get this year's Jets first-round pick, obviously that deal will have to get done by Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Maybe we'll hear more about that a week from today, but I expect very little movement on that this week, which means we'll probably see a trade in the next 24 hours. Have a great work week. We'll chat with you Friday morning.